Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Inventing Anna, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome to Inventing Anna, the official podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Wilson-Hunt, and this is the podcast for the Shondaland series, Inventing Anna. This show is your exclusive look behind the scenes and cons of the notorious fake German heiress, Anna Delvey. I'll be unraveling the stories behind the story and speaking with many of the creatives who brought the story to your Netflix queue, including some of the real people who got entangled in Anna Delvey's web. It's been nearly four years since journalist Jessica Pressler published her explosive New York Magazine feature on Anna Sorokin, who'd been arrested for stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from New York's social elite. The story lights up the internet. Readers can't seem to get enough of Pressler's juicy reporting on how an unknown 27-year-old going by the name of Anna Delvey with no connections or cachet, somehow managed to scam New York's most exclusive bankers, restaurants, and hotels. Among those readers was none other than powerhouse TV producer Shonda Rhimes. Later in the show, we will hear from Jessica and Shonda about how their two distinct worlds collided. But first, I had the honor of sitting down with Inventing Anna creator and showrunner Shonda Rhimes. Hi, Shonda. It's so nice to be speaking with you about Inventing Anna. Congratulations on this series. Thank you. Excited about it. Yes, and I'm so excited for fans to see it. It's a real wild ride. And as anything that we discussed in terms of storytelling, I'd love to start at the beginning. Let's start with Jessica Pressler's piece, which inspired the series, How Anna Delvey Tricked New York's Party People. This was published online in The Cut in May of 2018. So I'd love to go back to that period and tell me when you first read the article and how did it first land on your radar? I think I was on vacation when it first came out. I'm pretty sure I read it on the treadmill. (laughs) I think I was at some spa or somewhere trying to decompress from too much work. By the way, that's very Anna Delvey of you to be at a spa. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I spa the way Anna Delvey does. But um, I was on a treadmill and I read it on the treadmill and I remember thinking, this is a really fascinating article. It was one of those things where, you know, you sort of couldn't put it down and you could see it. Like I could sort of see the whole thing from beginning to end. I don't necessarily think to myself, I'm inspired by this or I'm inspired by that. I can just sort of see it as a series in a piece, once I can visualize something and it gets under my skin, I get excited about it and sort of know that it's something that we're going to want to make. And this had that quality about it. A lot of Jessica's writing was really visual and really interesting and felt 
adaptable. Like it felt like a story you wanted to get inside of and walk around. Hmm. That makes sense. And in terms of process, nothing's more important than writers. And you've worked with so many incredible writers over the last almost two decades. Tell me what was most important to you in bringing together the writers in this room. It's a specific show. It has a specific tone, a lot of research, a lot of fact-checking. A, I have kind of a posse of writers <laughs> who I'm always working with. A lot of the writers came from, you know, my prior shows. Some of the new ones were people who's just, they have original voices. They don't write anything like me. They don't sound anything like me. They have their own way of looking at things. I like people who will argue with me in a room. And that's generally what gets you hired is your willingness to argue with me in a room. We assigned every episode to a writer. And, you know, yes, there are rewrites and everything, but every writer is the is the, the architect of their episode. Hmm. I wanted every episode to feel different and to have a different vibe to it. And so unlike most of my shows where you, you know, you feel like a cadence of dialogue or you feel like you know, they all have a certain vibe to it. Every episode feels like its own little movie. And because we were trying to give every episode a different narrator and a different narrative, it worked so well to have each episode have a writer be just the architect of that episode. It's almost as if you were the editor assigning the journalists a story kind of sending them out to do their thing, and they came back and delivered their own specific telling of events. So I think that worked out. <laughs> it made it so much fun for all of us to have the writers come back with, with their own points of view and their own ideas about what they were going to put in. And, you know, we would argue and we would debate things, but in the end, you know, what they created, what they each created was just fabulous. I agree. The big addition to our room this time was we hired a really incredible, amazing researcher. And having a researcher was extraordinarily important because we were telling a story that was based on fact. We needed someone to build an extensive timeline of events to dig into little things that we weren't even sure were going to matter that ended up mattering, or sometimes they didn't end up not mattering. We'd go down these rabbit holes of facts that ended up, we'd all become obsessed with that ended up not mattering. You know, we've always had a researcher in the writer's room for medicine, for everything, but for this particular show, having somebody who had read every transcript of the trial, who was paying close attention to every little detail of Anna's life, knew everything there was to know about, you know, the building she wanted to buy, all of those things, was really, really important. Not only because we were dealing with a show about journalists and wanted to get the journalism part right, but because we also wanted to know what we were faking. You know what I mean? We wanted to know what we were making up. We didn't want to just be making things up just for the sake of it. Right. And you wanted to be intentional with those fictionalizations of events, right? Exactly. We wanted to, we wanted to intentionally be fictionalizing um, moments versus just accidentally be fictionalizing moments. Exactly. It's always good to be intentional. And it's funny you bring up the, the timeline, which makes me think of the wall that Vivian's character has in the show in her baby room. And it's, I hear that there is actually an Anna Wall at Shondaland. Is this true? Oh, that you were keeping track of everything? There was a huge wall at Shondaland. <laughs> and I think there was actually, there was more than one room and more than one wall because we had what I called like our casting wall, like our wall of all the different pictures of Anna's, which was mm -hmm. interesting. And, and by that, I mean just the different ways that the actual Anna looked and therefore all of the different versions of Anna's that existed in the world, in our world. We also had a wall that was just a timeline 
we had a wall that was what each episode was going to encompass and what that was going to mean. If we had, you know, an episode that was just the trial, what was that going to mean? We had a wall that was about our characters who were based on real people versus our characters who were fictionalized composites of, of people. Hmm. Well, good thing you have a lot of office space at Shondaland, right? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely needed the walls. I think we I think we actually outgrew the wall space. It was it was a lot. <laughs> So throughout this process, for you personally, what was the most enjoyable about this process in terms of what it takes to report a story? What aspect of it was new to you? And what did you enjoy the most about this? You know, we we had this group of people that we sort of, a little made-up group of people that we, we had working at Manhattan Magazine, which was our made-up magazine, our made-up version of New York Magazine, that we called Scriberia. Mm-hmm. And they were like the older, seasoned reporters who had won awards who nobody could fire because they were. Those are my favorite people, by the way. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. The, to kind of put out to pasture, but they were sort of, they had lots of war stories. And so to me, like one of my favorite parts about getting to do this was creating the world of Scriberia and those <laughs> three reporters. Please stop caring about me. It's horrifying. Hey. It's not like I want to care about you. I didn't even want you in Scriberia, but you're here and you have a filthy mouth and you're not a revolting millennial. So fuck you. I care. Hey, kid. Maud and I already filed our stories. So our time is yours. Not me. I have a big one to write. Trump is threatening to overthrow our democracy. Trump is threatening to overthrow our democracy every 10 minutes. He's going to do it again tomorrow. They were so much fun to write. They were so much fun to use. And they, you know, they're obviously some really famously talented theater actors who created their own little world under themselves. I mean, they had their own, they had their own little vibe going that was just beautiful to watch. And they helped, they helped us tell our, they helped tell the story. So creating that was really fun. But for me, there were so many parts of it that were just exciting and fun. I loved that we separated it out and let each episode be a story unto itself in its own way and let you see the different versions of Anna through different characters' eyes. Right. That sort of Rashomon structure that I love so much. Yeah. That was really fun for me. And I have a special, uh, I have a really deep affection for Neth. Um, (laughs) So for me, that episode, episode five, the Neth episode, was one of my favorite things that we've ever done. It just, Alexis, the actress, just beautifully captured Neth. The Rosen brothers just came in. Oh, they said they didn't know your name. Why won't they? You're at least in a building from them? I'm not placing a building from them. From their dad? And if you doing business with their dad, how come you're not staying in one of the suites? You know when you have someone do so many favors, you just want to pay them back in silence? If you've read the article, much of the article is that episode. And I really just love the way it plays out. I'm really proud of the way that came out. Well, and the article itself opens with that, with her sliding the bill across the counter at the hotel. And I think the whole framing of this case is really so largely through Neff's eyes. It really is. And why was the limited series format as opposed to a feature or as opposed to an ongoing series, why was that the most appealing for telling this story? I knew we were going to make a show. I didn't know how many episodes it was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be a limited series or if it was going to be a longer running series or what we were going to do with it. I just knew we were going to make a show out of it. And at a certain point, 
it felt like maybe we would do 10 episodes. We ended up making nine. And that really just came from the layout of deciding that we were going to do it in the formation of interviews. Once I met Jessica, and that was really the, the biggest, most interesting part of this for me was, you know, I talked to Jessica on the phone, you know, when we were sort of bidding to get the article and she really wanted to remain a part of the process. And that was exciting to me. And she asked if she could be in the writer's room. And that was also exciting to me. I was like, sure, come be in the writer's room. And I think for a lot of people, that might have been threatening. But <laughs> to me, it was it was exciting because I knew that she, more than anybody else, was inside the story. She knew all the players. She had spent time with everybody. So then I remember flying to New York to meet her after we'd gotten the article. And once I'd spent time with Jessica... It was really simple to discover like how we were going to tell this story because the minute you meet Jessica, you realize that you want to stand in the reporter's shoes to tell the story. Hmm. The way she reported the story, the way she figured out how she was going to tell the story was so interesting to me. From writing a sort of a fan letter to Anna Delvey in prison to being pregnant while she was reporting the story to having to go to Rikers to visit Anna. All of those things were so intriguing to me. The way she was involved in it and, and how deeply embedded she became in telling that story. So I knew we were going to tell it through that. I also knew that Anna is an unknowable person. Hmm. And so the best way to tell the story was going to be through the interviews and Jessica's reporting or creating a character based on Jessica to do the reporting of Anna and about Anna because we were never, ever really going to get to know who Anna was for real because Anna was never going to reveal herself. <laughs> right. It's interesting when you're talking about Jessica, who's such an incredible writer. I admire her greatly. You had almost like two layers of a cinematic experience. You had her own life and you had the story that she had created, which is so visual. It was great stuff. There was great stuff to work with and great stuff to invent. What was great was discovering how many other viewpoints there were. And, you know, we really wanted to get those in. We wanted to be able to take in and allow Anna to be seen through all the eyes that really needed to be there. And there were some stories that were just too good to be, to be missed that had to be told that I enjoyed to tell. So many delicious moments that you couldn't have made up. <laughs> well, maybe you could have, but you can't imagine that they really happened. Yeah, I, I like to say there are some things in there that are true that we can't admit are true. There's some things in there that are made up. There's a reason why we say the the disclaimer on the front the way we do because yes. we're being very careful about how we how we make clear what's portrayed. People really opened themselves up and told us things, and some things were true, some things weren't true, and some things are people's interpretations of events, and it all works really well together. And by the way. It encompasses the essence of who Anna is right there. You know what I mean? Right. Everything's true until it's not, basically, in Anna's world. <laughs> okay, we're going to break here for a moment and be right back. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. 
because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome back, everybody. Let's continue with the interview. If Anna is unknowable, and we sort of know that from the outset, what kind of conversations did you have with the writers about how to portray her? Because there is a risk in making her so unlikable that we almost don't care what happens to her. But you have done such a great job in creating empathy for her. But also, there's so many moments where I just don't understand her at all. And it kind of leaves our heads spinning <laughs> the entire series. So tell me about those conversations and how you drew her as a character. I mean, I think you draw her the way you draw any character. She's a human. You know, she has humanity. She's somebody who wants something. And I don't know, for me, like, yes, there are many things that she did wrong. But I like to look at her from the point of view of she was a very, very intelligent girl who had very strong ambitions, who was severely underestimated by a lot of people, who was treated badly by a lot of people, whose moral compass may be very off, but who felt passionately about being seen and was trying really hard to be seen. And you can see that. You can see how sort of lost she is. And when you look at how she treats the different people in, in their tellings of the story, and you see who she treats how, how well or how badly she treats certain people, you begin to understand a little bit more about who she is and recognize a little bit more about who she is. I think the trial episode is one of my favorites simply because you really begin to understand how important it is to her to be taken seriously. Right. What's interesting to me throughout the show and, and even in the trial itself her sort of psychological profile is never really dissected in a public way. You know, what could be informing these behaviors? And and I think it's interesting because she does seem like she's gone through trauma. We get to know later on that some of the things she experienced as a young person. Did you have a profile of her in the writer's room? Did you try to understand that maybe there's more going on there than just ambition, maybe misplaced ambition? Well, you do. I mean, there's the episode where you watch Vivian go 
back and try to dissect Anna's childhood. Right. We have plenty of information about Anna's childhood and her journals and all of that stuff. You know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, here's a basic, obvious psychological profile of somebody. And the reality of the situation is, is the obvious things that you think about who Anna, who Anna is and why she is the way she is are not true. They're just not. We, like everybody else, had our research done where, you know, we went and said, like, why would a person do this? And why would a person do that? They all sound really nice, but none of them had anything to had any basis in fact. There's lots of mystery there. There are lots mm. of holes left open. And we left them open for a reason. We open the doors and we point to what could have been. But what's true and what's not true are they're up for interpretation. And that and that is part of what makes this the show special is that it really does leave it to us to think about it for ourselves. And I think that's nice that we aren't given, she doesn't have a diagnosis. You know, there isn't this like perfectly wrapped reason for her actions. And I think that's what makes it compelling. And also, by the way, she's not, she's not a serial killer or something. No, she's We're not, not. watching her murder bodies and, and no. you know, wear their skin, wear make suits out of people's skin. She's just a person. And honestly, I've said this a thousand times, she hasn't done anything worse than most Wall Street guys. So right. what diagnosis are we looking for here? other than ambitious, you know, hopeful person following the American dream. She hasn't done anything. We really want her to be a bad person, I think. People really want to label her as a horrible person. I'm not sure why. There's a lot of behaviors that she does when you really dissect them and really look at them. I see people engage in them all the time. In your regular small town in New York City, there I see people engage in these behaviors all the time, and I don't think that they're not they're especially diagnosable. I think that they're just a lot of it is just human behavior. And we only call it out when it becomes public and gets you into trouble. That is very, very true. So you mentioned the trial, which is very important to the story and was very impactful to your storytelling process. I'd love to talk about that. It took place in New York starting March 2019. What was the timing of the trial in relation to where you were writing the show? And tell me about how you got writers in the courtroom, because I know that was a very big piece of your puzzle. One of our writers, Matt Byrne, who wrote the episode, the trial episode, used to be a journalist. And so we sent him because we thought he would be uh, the perfect person to go. And we needed somebody to be there. What was great was the writer's room was still in session. We were working on the show while the trial was going on. Right. I remember doing a dramatic reading of the of, of Todd's opening statement for the writer's room, like <laughs> as we got the transcripts of the trial. Everyone lies a little bit, whether it's on a resume or sales pitch or on social media. We think the world has changed with social media. Every person has become a brand, an image fed out into the world, a lie. But what was true for Anna was true for Sinatra. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. It was really interesting to have the trial be going on and for us to still be working on the show, not knowing how we were going to end the show. Because for a while we were, gonna, we were like, maybe we'll end before we hit the trial. Then the trial started and we thought, no, we're going to wait until the trial is over. We were writing episodes with an ending that we didn't know what the ending was. We were like, if Anna goes free, if Anna doesn't go free, we, we weren't sure. Right. And my favorite part was, you know, there's that scene where you see Scriberia sitting at their desks and they're like getting the verdict. Matt was texting us, slacking us the verdict. 
as we were all sitting, you we were all sitting around a computer, like waiting to hear, like I count one, what did she get? I count two, like that was real. That really happened with us. We were all like, what's happening? Attempt to steal property from Fortress Investment Inc. exceeding $1 million, guilty or not guilty? Come on, come on, come on, type faster. Type, Vivian. Let's go, Viv. We were sort of going crazy waiting to find out. But it was also, you know, it, it put us in this very interesting position because at that point we were so invested in every little piece of it by then because we had waited through the whole trial to try to figure out what the end of the show was going to be. And then felt this like overwhelming sense of letdown or just simply because it was over. Right, right. Um, and what surprised you most about the verdicts? I think that we were surprised that she was found guilty on so many counts. And I think it was because of this idea that she had to be dangerously close to getting the money. She had to be dangerously close to doing it. And we all thought in order for her to be dangerously close, they're really saying that she really was good at what she was doing. She really, she really was actually swindling them. And that is an admission that we weren't sure that these men would have been willing to make about this young girl. So that was interesting. We also felt vindicated in our own little way that she, well, half of us did. It was like a battle in the room, that she was found not guilty of swindling Rachel. <laughs> that is a polarizing decision for sure. It was very interesting. We had a lot, we had a lot of sympathy for Rachel in terms of, of who that character was and of really humanizing her. I was very careful that I didn't want us to be we're not demonizing another woman ever, no matter what. And we're, we're just not like there's a humanity in every last one of these characters. But there was a feeling for the some half of us that like she handed over her credit card willingly. You know, she'd been along for this ride. She handed it over willingly. And a lot of us were like, I would never have done that. And then there are a lot of people who were like, but I would have. So it was a very, it was a very interesting debate in our in our writer's room. Right. A lot of the writer's room was, what would you have done in that situation if you had been with Anna? And I think that's what was, was fascinating for us. In almost every episode, it was, if you had been with her, would you have gone along with her? Right. Well, and so much of the show is how each of us is prone to wish fulfillment. I mean, there isn't anyone watching the series who wouldn't have wanted to be part of this for at least a little bit, right? Go to the restaurants, go to the parties, experience that energy, we're all prone to this type of behavior, I think. Or maybe we don't want to admit it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think what's wonderful is like, for instance, Nora. Nora has everything. Nora is wealthy beyond belief. She's swindled out of tons of money. Um, but even Nora falls for it. And what Nora falls for is how Anna makes her feel. And I think for all of them, that's what it is. Every last person who is quote unquote swindled by Anna or taken in by Anna or pulled into Anna's you know, web, it's because Anna makes them feel a certain way. They all come away from Anna forever changed. How do you think she makes them feel exactly? For everybody, it's different. You know what I mean? For some people, it's Anna needs to be taken care of. For some people, it's that wonderful moment for Nora where she's sort of saying, it's so important that we help, you know, young emerging women. Mm -hmm. You know, the great episode where she's got the, the businessman and he's sort of, she's standing in for his idea of what his daughter should be. Right, exactly. There's Casey and 
how Anna is really the perfect version of the client that needs remolding and reshaping. Everybody has something that they're getting from Anna. They all get something from her. And in the end, if you ask me, she's the only person left with nothing. Everybody else got something. That's a really wonderful point. She is a proxy for each person, and her genius is knowing what those people need from her in that moment. And so if there's something to take away is sort of that intuition that she has about reading people in an instant, the way she connects with Neff. She sees Neff as, a, as an aspirational artist. She knows that they have that in common. They want more than what they have. And she spots it in an instant. And it really is fascinating how she does it over and over and over again. And that's why she is compelling. And maybe that's why people don't like her, because she is so talented. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's also why people like her. I mean, it's it's fascinating. And, and possibly, is it her gift or is it her curse? Because is it necessarily a talent that she has or is it a talent that people have put upon her? Hmm. You know, people look at Anna and see what they want to see, which I think is also very interesting. It is. It's a brain bender, too. It really forces you to think throughout. And I think that's a real gift. And I just want to congratulate you and your team on such a great job. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Shonda. Good to be here. Hey there, don't go anywhere. After this break, we'll hear from the one and only Jessica Pressler on her own unique introduction to Anna Delby. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Hey, welcome back. Now let's hear a little bit from Shonda's closest confidant in creating the series, Jessica Pressler, the journalist who wrote the New York Magazine story that inspired inventing Anna. Here she is chatting with Shonda Rhimes. How did you first hear about Anna? So I first heard about Anna in the fall of 2017, the fall, late winter of 2017, I was thinking about doing a book about female con artists because I had written the story about a group of former strip club workers that became hustlers. Hustlers, everybody. Hustlers. Go see that movie. Check it out. Yes. <laughs> and um, there are elements of that that I thought were really intriguing. I was thinking about like doing something about female con artists in general, you know, just kind of different ways that female con artists work that are different than men. Anyway. I called this um, photographer that I had met during Hustlers. His name is Stephen Hirsch, and he um, hangs out at, like, Manhattan Criminal Court and takes pictures of people for the tabloids. And he also has this, like, kind of great editorial mind. Like, he has done these, like, photojournalistic series about 
you know, the bunnies living on the bunny ranch in Nevada and people kidnapped by aliens, which are topics that interest me. Um, so I was like, is there anyone interesting that's come in? <laughs> Any like kind of female like criminals that and he was like, oh, you should check out this woman, Anna. And I looked it up. And the things that struck me as odd about it were that Fortress, the hedge fund that was mentioned in the complaint, which is not like a brand name that 26-year-olds wannabe socialites are generally aware of. And also that she went to see Warren Buffett. Like she took a plane to go see like a 90-year-old in Nebraska. <laughs> Those two facts felt very strange to me. And so I wrote her a letter and, uh, and she called me a few weeks later and said, I'm not a wannabe socialite. And that's kind of how it went from there. I remember just being riveted, asking you for like, what did the letter say? You know, when did she respond? Like, how do you get somebody to respond to you? You know, you want to interview them in prison, like that whole thing. And wondering, how do I make this visual? And it was really kind of cool to get from you. Jessica would write me these like very elaborate incredibly entertaining emails that would sort of tell me how a journalist works and how she did her job and the story of meeting Anna. And what was great about it was is I, I felt like I learned a ton of details about hopefully how to be a journalist. I hope we got it right. And I put them all in the show. I just got so um, kind of obsessed with it. And I think that that's became my way in really, which is why the show became the show that was told through the eyes of a journalist because I couldn't I couldn't see it any other way once you started telling me about how, how you did your work. That's so funny. That is a question I was going to ask you, actually, because I remember reading in the New York Times, um, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't memorize it, that you um, read the story while you were on vacation <laughs> and that you like saw it immediately. It, it, I remember there was a line that was like, I slept better. I, slept. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, so I'm curious, like, if, if that original vision that you had for the show remained or if it changed, how it changed. Some parts of the original vision remained. I mean, I thought for a long time that the whole story would be the article. You know what I mean? Like would be set at the hotel, would be that piece of it. But then I started talking to you. And the more I started talking to you and the more I talked to you, the more I realized that A, Anna is unknowable in a lot of ways. There were so many different versions of Anna to be found. But also there was so much more to the story. Like, you know, there was what happened in Morocco. There was what happened once we got to trial. There were all these things. There was what happened when she went to California. There were all the things that happened afterwards. Yeah. That I thought were super interesting. So it sort of expanded the story so much that I really wanted to find a way in that that made sense. And then, you know, we would talk about these things that just captivated me, some of these things that were sort of inspired by facts, but were basically, you know, sort of fictionalized, which were episodes two and three, that just captivated me so much that I felt like we had to grab those because I felt like they explained so much of who Anna is or how she came to be. Who am I? This club, this foundation will be who I am, what I am. I have to build this so artists and people like me finally have a home, somewhere safe, a place where they belong, a place where I belong. 
Okay, so the first time you met Anna in person, mm-hmm. I know it wasn't anything like what I wrote. She didn't insult your fashion. <laughs> no. What was it like for you the first time you met Anna in person? You know, I remember being like, this is a 27-year-old girl. This is just a 27-year-old girl. And we had a fairly normal conversation. And she said a lot of things that sounded very reasonable. Uh, yeah, what's what's different is that I did not convince her to go to trial. She told me in our first conversation that she wanted to go to trial, that she thought her case was very sloppily put together and that she wanted to go to trial. And even though her lawyers thought that it was scary to go to trial, she wanted the the truth to be out there or, you know, she wanted to to, uh, see if she could win a trial. And she kind of made a case for it that sounded very reasonable. And I had the first of many experiences with Anna where I left being like, oh, that was like totally reasonable and she's totally normal. And then once I was out of the Rikers complex in the situation, I was like, wait a minute, that's just like bananas. Like, why would you, why would you go to trial? What do you mean? Like that the case is sloppily put together. You literally forged wire transfer statements. Like, why would you want to take this to trial? It makes sense when you're talking to her, but yeah. She's magnetic, I think. A lot of the things that she says in the first episode when we first meet her are things that she said in the video interview Mm -hmm. because I found them fascinating. My car is panting a public picture of me as a dumb, shallow, superficial person who's just after money. I want you to know that's not me at all. I'm trying to build a business. There were so many things that she said that sounded so reasonable Literally, like I felt like we couldn't even put in on the show. I was like, they, I don't think anybody believe me. <laughs> like when you said, like, when are you happy, happiest? And you, she said, right now. Like right now, I'm happiest right now. And I'm like, you're in prison. How can you be happiest right now? Yeah, I still haven't gotten my head around that one. But honestly, I think once again, she's created her own version of what a character is and how she wants to be seen in real life. And so it makes her very unknowable. That's it for now. We'll hear much more from Shonda and Jessica's conversation in a future episode. Thank you for joining us for the premiere of Inventing Anna, the official podcast. Tune in next week when I break down key moments from the show with Emmy-nominated actor Anna Klumski, who plays journalist Vivian Kent. I think she does like shiny things. Mm. (laughs) And I do think that she, this is backstory stuff, you know, that I built, but like she was driven by the idea that, well, if I just crack the code, they'll let me in. If you're enjoying this show, please subscribe, share with your friends, rate, or leave us a review. All that good stuff. And if you haven't finished binging Shondaland's Inventing Anna on Netflix, please go do that. We really don't want to spoil it for you. Inventing Anna, the official podcast, is executive produced by Sandy Bailey, Lauren Homan, Tyler Klang, and Gabrielle Collins. Our producer and editor is Nicholas Harder. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Stacey Wilson-Hunt. Inventing Anna, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.